Hello, everybody, and welcome to Wednesday Night Live. I am Ron Crawford, coming to you from the Father's Church in Dallas, Texas, and um, I especially want to greet my congregation here in Dallas. Uh, those of you who are local, uh, remember that tonight at 6 o'clock, we are going to be praying in the sanctuary, and on this first Wednesday evening of November, we're going to be asking the Father to receive our thanks for the wonderful things he has done uh, by the Spirit of Truth into guiding us into His um, the insights of his word. And we're also going to be asking for creative measures of the Spirit, plus enhanced ability to hear from the Spirit as to what uh, what the Word of the Lord wants to say to us in these days. God has been faithful in this, but as we have learned many times over the years, foundation is the, uh, the foundation of thanksgiving is the, is the step into the new. If you are not living in a thankful position before God, you're drastically limiting your ability to move forward. And, you know, we have studied this before. This is a good topic for the month of Thanksgiving. Um, in the Old Testament and then into the New Testament, we find the, the cumulative understanding of thanks as a doorway into grace, into moving further into what God has uh, has in store for us if we will if we will hear it and receive it. And so we want to give thanks for the way God has positioned our saints network and <clears throat> our local body into a point of partnership to where we can receive his meat and then be able to take it to the world to the nations, making disciples, preaching the gospel of the kingdom. And this is our mission, and it's not some obscure mission that, you know, everybody else has found the real gems of the Lord, and this odd thing we're doing is off nowhere, nobody cares. Well, we're a remnant, and if you really carefully look at what Jesus said to do, we're doing what he said to do. And we want to continue to do that, and we want to be faithful in the window of opportunity that God has given to us. So, on this Wednesday, tonight, at 6 o'clock, we're going to be praying, as many as can come. And we're just going to give thanks to the Lord, and we're going to ask Him for um, increased capacity to serve Him in a greater and more effective way. Then this coming Saturday, of course, is first Saturday. The directive that is suggested for network agreement should be sent out within the next day or so. And um, I pray that our time of seeking, seeking the Lord together around the world is, uh, is going to be fruitful. And so, um, please make note of that. I apologize for yesterday. 
in the fact that we were not able to present a Saints radio. It wasn't for lack of trying. I was going full steam. I was about 35 minutes into the broadcast. I was flying solo up here, and um, uh, Ruby came in and told me that we weren't on. And so I won't go through the details of it. It's it's rather frustrating uh, for me. But hopefully we have corrected the problem. Um, you know, it's just one of those things. I said I wasn't going to go into the details, but we're still learning the intricacies of this new equipment. And what what this equipment allows us to do initially is to pre-program various, uh, I won't call them shows, but various programs. And so there are presets for the program. So there's a preset for Wednesday Night Live. There's a preset for Saints Radio and for Message of the Week for France and for uh, Brazil. And, you know, so arguably the beauty of this program is that of this um, equipment is that you can go up and you can hit the pre preset and boom, it all pulls up and then you're you're ready to go. You just have to make sure the microphones are on and you're streaming. Well, yesterday, uh, after I don't know how many Saints radios we've done, um, <laughs> suddenly the preset didn't have any of the mic set. And so I was just talking into the air. And uh, that's, that's I don't really know how it happened. It's frustrating because a preset should be that. So... Um, I, I, we were able to determine what went on. I thank Pastor Fabian for his help, but why it happened, I still am clueless. So today, this program, we're broadcasting it live because, again, I'm up here alone. I wanted to make sure that what was being said was actually going out and being recorded. And so, um, we began with uh, streaming, and I just thought, well, we're just going to go ahead and do this live. It'll also be archived and recorded. So that's my story. I'm sticking with it, but I really apologize for um, for yesterday. I know that that broadcast on Tuesdays is a very special one uh, for us here, and I know that many of you just look past the chit-chat and... Um, joined together in more of a conversational type of a program. But hopefully we can move past this and won't have a, uh, a revisiting of that issue. I said I wasn't going to go into the details, but lo and behold, there I went. So forgive me for being untruthful here at the beginning of the broadcast. I'll try not to be untruthful through the rest of the time. But... Um, Anyway, I wanted to share with you, there's a handout that should, it's not going to be posted for you hearing live, because I didn't tell anybody I was doing this live, but it will be up on the archive, so I apologize uh, for any of you who may have chanced upon this and are hearing it live. But this past Sunday here at our church, we did things uh, we, that we believe the Lord wanted for that day. And so we 
turned the, the, the regular progression of what we did normally on Sundays around. And uh, the end result was something that was a very uh, effective, something that was a very meaningful, and something that was quite entertaining. Uh, I appreciated being able to uh, divert from our traditional path to do some new things. But I started the service, and uh, I recognized afterwards that even though I was supposed to speak about what I spoke at the beginning of the meeting, it was more like a fire hydrant. Uh, it was just gushing out because what what we shared was based from Psalm 23.5, and that's where we're going to go today. And we're going to recount some of the things that we shared this past Sunday, and we're going to uh, do our best to apply them into where we're where we are as saints, and hopefully understand why the Spirit chose to reveal this unique meaning from Scripture in the way He did on Sunday. So. Psalm 23.5 is uh, in the middle of the famous 23rd Psalm, of course. And here in this verse, David said, You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, and my cup runs over. Now, anybody that is doing anything for the Lord. If you're an intercessor, if you are a student of the Scripture, you recognize that the Bible speaks about our need to engage from time to time in spiritual warfare. In fact, our entire walk in God is based upon the place where he calls us to stand. It's based upon the gap where he has summoned us to to fill, wherein he has summoned us to fill. And that those factors, plus many others, speak about the fact that we have an enemy who doesn't want us knowing the Father, who doesn't want us serving the will of the Father. If he can get us to be just totally oblivious to the things in the spirit realm, he's happy. If he can convince Christians that the only reason they're saved is to go to heaven and that God is here to serve them, he's happy. Because in that, either of those uh, circumstances, those individuals really are doing very little to take the gospel into the darkness or to see the kingdom of God come. There may be benevolent actions, there may be philanthropic actions, there may be kindnesses shown, and those are all worthy. But those things, although they gain an, an eternal reward and may benefit people, they don't do a whole lot to affect what's going on in the spirit realm. You understand that. So, um, and I, I could belabor that point. 
Uh, maybe, you know, for instance, we uh, we in the Western world have pulled out of Afghanistan, and now, from what reports we know, the Afghani people have been plunged back many hundreds of years into Sharia law. And so what we were trying to do with boots on the ground in that country was initially to interrupt the fomenting of terrorism that could spill across the globe. But then we determined that we were going to try to benefit the people and set up schools and allow there to be freedoms for women and every other type of oppressed uh, individuals in in that society. So most of that is gone now because we're not there and our allies are not there as, uh, as clout to back the policy. So there's debate right now as to whether we should send benevolences there, whether we should send money for health care and for supplies. People are starving. And it's it's debatable as to if we did send that, whether it would actually get to the people we're wanting to benefit. But my point for this is that doing a benevolent work or trying to send money or send funds is going to do nothing to change the political climate there. As good as that may be, as beneficial as it may be for anybody who might actually receive it, the the governing structure is still there. So I take that same analogy into what happens in in Christendom. You know, we we in churches generally, uh, if you're in a fundamental church, you believe you're going to do good and that's going to bless the Lord, which it does. You're going to pay your tithe. You're going to be faithful to church. You're going to support things. You're going to pray concerning your needs or the needs of others. And you hope that either the rapture is going to come and whisk you away, or when you die, the sure and certain hope that we will be with the Lord in heaven eternally. Those are wonderful things. Don't get me wrong. I grew up in that environment. I cherish every one of those things. However, those things in themselves do very little to engage in spiritual warfare or to establish the gap where God has planted you, which he said, I search for those who would do this. How does that welcome the kingdom of God to come? And and so it's important that we learn what God says in his word about fighting the good fight and being a, uh, a, a soldier in the army of the Lord and putting on the full armor of God and interceding and wrestling against principalities and powers and uh, spiritual wickedness in high places and powers of the darkness and, and many other passages that speak of that kind of thing. Uh, withstand the enemy. Stand against the enemy. When the enemy comes in, he's going to have to flee. Um, not if the enemy comes in, but when. So there, there are a lot of lessons to learn about spiritual warfare. But to me, at the, the heart of them all, 
of them all is what David meant by his enemies. In this is the essence of who we are, who we're called to be, how God does a thing, and how we really triumph in in the, the, the walk of faith, the fight of faith, and and how how this understanding of what David meant here about his enemies is not just for warfare. This theme that we're going to look at goes all the way down into the uh, the integral parts of who we are in God, how we partner with Him, and how God does things in us. It really depicts the essence of faith. So as we're going to look at this, I make this statement that you won't really be what God has ordained you to be in authority in the spirit realm or in creative dimensions of the spirit realm or in spiritual warfare, or in partnering with the angelic, if you are not functioning in this key principle in every area of your life. I believe that David learned this principle that we're going to talk about from the very time that he was a young boy on the hillside tending the sheep of his father. This is the essence of faith and of who David was. And so this is what made him the great lover of God and the mighty warrior that slayed tens of thousands. And so if you were to look, and I'm sure you have already, at the word from which my enemies is translated, you will discover that it it doesn't speak of some giant ogre. It doesn't speak of some um, cavalry unit with uh, steel-tipped spears. It doesn't speak of fiery dragons who belch out venomous flames. It doesn't speak of um, the military tactics of a despotic world conqueror. It doesn't speak of any of those things, which to me is kind of perplexing in that normally when we read this 23rd Psalm, when we come to a table in the presence of our enemies, we just envision that there's a mighty army standing in front of us. Now, the root term that we're going to be looking at does convey the idea of an invading army that that uh, circumnavigates you and would try to surround you or cut you off or put you in siege. But that idea of an army is an extrapolation of the theme that we're going to talk about. So in order to understand that, what we just said, we have to 
know what the root of this is and really where it came from. So um, the term sharar is is used in with many derivations through the scripture, and it it is regularly known as a narrow place, a place that is encroached upon, a place that is that is surrounded by an an oppressive um, scenario. It, it it has to do in the body with um, a something that has uh, absorbed or retained liquids and has subsequently expanded to the point of at least feeling like it could burst and then it becomes rigid it's it's uncomfortable and it's kind of what would be in some ways, uh, the result of some kind of a constriction or blockage, but it has more to do with um, with something that is being supplied to where it's bursting almost. It's it's so full that it's become uncomfortable. Now, as, as we're going to see in a little while, um, when we talk about Jacob, this term is also... This root term is also used to describe um, a muscle or a tendon that is strong and is um, uh, able to be exerted to go against something or to develop something or to, uh, to see an expansion. It can be built up. And um, so all of that in itself can really be seen into the fact that David said, when the enemy is with me, uh, I'm at a table and my cup is running over and oil is being poured upon me. So you have this constriction in a narrow place, but you also have the, the supply that is over overrunning the capacity to, to hold it. And uh, I think that we'll understand the significance of this more if we look at someone that David was very familiar with and all of us as Christians who walk in faith uh, should understand because this word is what formed the name Sarah. So Abraham and Sarah had a, uh, a promise from God. And they waited for decades upon that promise. Of course, the promise would uh, be through the birth of Isaac. And over the years, they were blessed they increased in in wealth and they increased in substance and they increased in the numbers of those who worked for them or traveled with them. They were notable individuals in the ruling um, government centers of the world that they walked in. In fact, the Hittites called them uh, called him 
<clears throat> someone who um, who Elohim rules through. You're a prince through Elohim. You're a chief one representing Elohim. And um, that that is an, is an amazing thing. Um, but yet, the promise that God gave was not fulfilled. Yes, Abraham's blessing was there. I remember during the faith movement, David Ingalls would sing that song, I'm of the seed of Abraham, and his blessing rests on me. Um, that's great. That's, that's wonderful, the blessing. He was blessed. He knew God face to face. He, he was a friend of God. He was the champion and the initiator of righteousness. He, according to Melchizedek, was one who uh, was partnering with God concerning God's jealousy for the high places. And that is an amazing thing. But the blessing was not what Abraham's promise was. Yes, it was there. But the promise was unfulfilled for decades. And Sarah was the one who was going to have the privilege of bearing that child. So even though they were blessed abundantly, they were increased abundantly. Every year that passed provided a, these are my words, a gnawing recognition that the promise had not been fulfilled. And um, that's the key to understanding the name of Sarah, S-A-R-A-I. Now, God changed her name. And um, God changed her name to a derivative of this term, which meant someone who had overcome in that process. Uh, it's from that word that the, the Russian word czar comes from. Someone who had been faithful, who had overcome, who had endured, who had survived, and had finally seen the apex of what they desire to do. And um, that's why God changed her name. It, it's, it's why God changed Abram's name, but that's not our topic right now. In Sarah was this promise. And she, for years and years, was increased, but was uncomfortable. I mean, you can see that with Hagar and Ishmael. They, they were so un- she was so uncomfortable that she suggested this circumventing of the promise of God. I know that there are many who've done that. They, they've been blessed, and they think, this isn't working. I'm not getting my promise, so... I'm going to go out and I'm going to uh, engage in some kind of a miscreant behavior thinking that I'll be able to birth the promise through something that's not God's way. I'll, I will uh, eventually what Sarah did was she arranged for 
a major source of enemies to be brought into the world um, that would bedevil her offspring for generations. So Sarah represents this process, and David was well aware of this process. You think about David. He was blessed. He was blessed on the hillside. He was blessed when he was in uh, total anonymity. He was blessed when his father chose not to call him in to meet with the prophet Samuel, when Samuel was sent by God to anoint the next king who would follow Saul. He was blessed when he went out and served the king and then drew the ire of the king and had to run for his life. He was blessed when his own men wanted to stone him because they were agents of Belial. He was blessed over and over again. David recognized the blessing of God, but yet in the midst of that blessing, he had to he had to really employ um, a persona that almost seems opposite to what someone of that skill set and that capability and that that authority should have done. Now, he made a mistake with Bathsheba, and that was a big one with Uriah the Hittite. God ended up blessing the eventual child that lived, Solomon, from that union. Um, of course, you can't rewrite history, and you certainly don't want to rewrite the Word of God. But um, for the most part, though, because you, you think, what would have happened had David not done that? Would the kingdom have been better off? Probably. But this principle of Sarah was something that David knew. He, he, any child of, of, uh, of Israel knew this story. And so David uses this term about his enemies and you can't you can't describe your enemy in that way uh using that term and not recognize that it's the name of your forebears which produce the miracle through which you have life so an enemy really in this regard is whatever is trying to block or inhibit the promise God has given to you or to your contingent or whatever purpose God has laid. you you got to separate your carnal wants and desires or your opinions. What is the essential calling that God has given? And when you seek that first, then everything else comes. That's what God says. He adds all these things to you. So there, if there is opposition to what God has promised in purpose, it will seem like it's encroaching upon you. It really represents the breakthrough point, the place where the roots are going to go, the place through which the parats is going to break through because you've stood and 
you know, it's 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 a lot like what happens in um, the birthing of a child. In fact, an umbilical cord was described by this term. Um, it's it's a lot like what happens in the parets parats, where you're standing in the gap. You're you're there. You're establishing. You're developing, and then breakthrough comes. You. You have the breaker because you've stood in the, the parets, the gap that God has called you to. And, and a key principle in spiritual warfare through David and then through the, the, the parents of all who walk in faith is that we've got to know what God has promised and we've got to hold on to it. And God is going to bless you you're you're going to be provided for in that narrow place you may feel uncomfortable you may feel frustrated if you if you allow yourself it's not going to be all roses and pleasantries you can bind and you can rebuke the opposition that that is really god's uh, god's womb of blessing around you and um but it won't do you any good because the only way to break through that is through overcoming in the timing of the Lord. So when David would encounter an enemy, he would look for the table that God was providing for him, the supply. And he would cherish that because he recognized that God was going to anoint for what was coming. He was going to pour into um, into his life an overflowing cup, he was going to be with him there in fellowship, um, but he had to be careful not to even allow those things to inebriate him to where he forgot what the promise was. See, that is a key thing, because so often... When God begins to supply you for the breakthrough, you may say, well, this is, this is uh, look, these things are happening. I'm done with holding on to this promise, you know. Uh, what, what I'm having here is really a blessing. And you can become a negotiant with Hagar. <laughs> and you can bypass what God has ordained for you to be. So a key point in this table of the Lord is is um, waiting on the timing of God. You think about the table of the Lord in the New Testament. It's a table of grace. It's a table of commune. And why is it a table of grace for the breakthrough? Because that's what it is, a eucharistia, the good purpose of God and the grace that pursues it. Um, Your rejoicing looks to that target of grace, um, you you are fellowshipping with God in His bread. You're being supplied. Uh, by the way, you're supposed to stand as part of the body of Christ. That sprinkling of the blood through the cup is empowering you and empowering the place. It is a table of supply, and from that time, place, in in your obedience and your patience and in your willingness to wait on the timing, God will break through. So the enemies, no matter what they are, are really the soil of breakthrough. But you've got to, you've got to welcome this 
into your thinking, into every aspect of how you walk with God. Now, I said that Sarah's name meant um, initially this restricted place where blessing was, but then she was able to become known as a derivative of that name that meant an overcomer in that process. Um, A variation of this same term is used in two verses, both in Isaiah 9, verses 6 and 7, where it's speaking about our Lord, a, a promise of the coming of Emmanuel. And it says the government will be on his shoulders and the increase of his government, there will be no end. Or the process of increase coming through that government, there will be no end. With that, you see that the way to really gain authority and function in authority is through this process. It's not through the number of scriptures you memorize. It's not through how many people you can get fasting for the thing you want to have happen. It's not through how you debate with the enemy. It's not how you uh, do any number of things that you would think most churches teach. It's through overcoming in this process. If you're faithful in the small things, I make you ruler over the next thing. The parable of the talents, you know, someone who was faithful with what God had sown into them and blessed them. God rewarded them and gave them more. And so government, the key measure of government, the key measure of having authority over anything that God gives is by adhering to this process. And yeah, it can be uncomfortable. Yeah, it can feel oppressive. Yes, from those surrounding places of break of potential breakthrough, there can be threats hurled. There can be intimidating thoughts. There can be all kinds of things that come against you. Your own mind could say, how's this going to be? It's just taken forever. Wow, that I just don't see how that promise is going to happen, which is probably true because I hasn't seen, ear hasn't heard, neither has it entered into the heart of anybody, the glorious things God's reserved for us. But the key point in leadership is not going half-cocked because like Saul did, you know, the people are leaving me. I've got to do something. You you can destroy your blessing and the kingdom will be rent from you. You know, you wait on the promise of God. You don't take matters into your own hands. You don't abandon purpose just because you think your biological clock is ticking. And, you know, anybody who's going to be a leader in God with the government upon the shoulders has to know this process, has to have triumphed in this process, and has to be willing to trust the process in whatever decisions they make in authority or in warfare or in the personal promise God has given you. This is all the same word. It's all the same theme. 
So when David says, you know what? Um, You've prepared a table before me in this impossible scenario. And you're anointing my head with oil. You're pouring it on me right now. And my cup is running over. He's describing this. Now, let's just pause before we go into the Jacob discussion, which in itself is really enlightening. Um, God's been blessing you. Yeah, we've had challenges. Yes, we've faced battles. Some of you are up against it. Look, over the past two years, I have faced some terrible scenarios in my life. I'm grateful to have gone through them. But, you know, if if I had a choice, Ron, do you want to face what you faced? Or would you rather not have to? Well, I'd say I'd rather not have to. But God was with me through all of them. And he's with you now. And you're going to be an overcomer and you're going to be better off for it. We're being blessed. Yes, there's a surrounding of enemy forces, darkness and gross darkness. We see things going on nationally and internationally that are disgusting. And if you point it out, then you're depicted as somebody who is wicked beyond compare. And um, I don't like that. But in the midst of that, God is blessing. God is blessing. How do we handle that blessing? I I believe that when you see things begin to be added to you in a big way, you need to not become inebriated by that and, and, and to dumb yourself down or become lazy or cathartic, cathartic um, or lethargic. I mean, you, you, you have to recognize that as a sign of growth. You know, my daughter is pregnant. She's, she's getting bigger. She's uncomfortable in that. But there's going to be a birth and a blessing, and we're all happy about it. She is too. That's why the scriptures talk about travail as a type of intercession. See, all of these same principles follow the the measure of what this word means that we're talking about today. And um, I believe that God wants us to learn how to especially recognize his blessing as children of faith and as governmental entities in the kingdom and turn those into a an acknowledgement that breakthrough is upon us. It's coming. And you know, I remember a couple of years ago when this COVID business started happening and there were fear mongers everywhere. And, you know, I was just trying to, to navigate so that we could overcome um, political and um, enforcement regulations here in our city so that we could keep functioning as what we were supposed to do. But I was never afraid. In fact, uh I rejoice at the way God is blessed. Uh, I believe that the restrictions that are around us for international travel are not damn damning things. They are 
the soil of breakthrough. And we're being blessed in a minute. We're being prepared for breakthrough. We're being supplied for breakthrough. You think about the history of war when uh, the descriptions of uh, D-Day in World War II, all of those supplies that were pouring into England, filling those vessels and supplying those soldiers, and it was just burgeoning. And all of a sudden then the day happened and they went forward and they broke through on, on, uh, to French soil. The same thing happened before they went into Sicily. Same type of thing happened when the Allies landed in Morocco and then began their, uh, their process into North Africa. There's always a buildup before a breakthrough. There has to be. And if, if, you, if you just think, oh, the buildup's here, good, we got plenty to eat now. Look at all the weapons we have. If you take your eye on why that build up, take your eye off of why that build up is there, you're not going to be a very good soldier. The mission, the agenda, is the heart of faith. It's righteous vision. And this is God's blessing for us. So we wanted to look at how this word plays out in the life of Jacob, who was the grandson of Abraham and Sarah. Isaac, of course, was the promised son. He had his own issues. We've talked a lot about Isaac. He's not the topic today, even though he he was, not only did he understand that principle, he probably heard about it every day of his life. (laughs) You know, I mean, I don't know how many times I heard my mother say, she went through hell to bring me into the world. I was 10 pounds, 2 ounce when I was born. I was a bruiser. She was, she was sick during that time, and there was cancer around her womb, but yet God brought me. I treasure that. It's, it's a blessing. An angel appeared to her in the hospital room and told her that I was going to be fine, that I was someone that God had uh, was bringing through a miracle because I was going to, partner with him. Those are my terms, but that's what he told her. So I heard about that a lot. Isaac had to have heard what God did. He had to have known it. His parents were as old as dirt. I mean, this this was not something that was in a corner. Oh, I didn't know that. Nobody told me that. He knew it. He was the promised son. So here's Jacob and Esau, of course, as so often is the case. You know, the next generations, they may not be as keen to the price that's paid for the blessing that they enjoy. Um, But Jacob, we find him in um, Genesis 32, and he is going to be wrestling with the angel of God and basically seeing God face-to-face, seeing Elohim face-to-face. Hosea 12.4 says, yes, he had power, and that term power is this term, Sarah, over the angel and prevailed. He wept and made supplication unto him. He found him in Bethel, and there he spoke with us. And in Genesis, where it speaks about wrestling, 
it's this same term. So what God was trying to do with Jacob, who was now the covenant birthright patriarch, was to forge in him this concept of Sarah, or Sarar. Jacob was a supplanter, he was a deceiver, he was a maneuverer, he he really wasn't keen on being in the center of challenge. If a challenge came, he found a way to get away. This is one of the first Southwest Airlines commercials, want to get away. He deceived his father in getting the birthright, and his mom says, you better get out of here, boy. Your brother, who's a hairy mess and a man of the fields, is coming, and he ain't going to like it. Jacob was skilled at maneuvering. And there's not a whole lot of maneuvering in this Sarar place. In fact, you you have if you if you want to partner with God and you want to partner with his angels and you want to have a covenant in uh, uh, meeting with Elohim on the earth to partner with the plan of God in heaven, you you are going to have to submit to his ways. This is the wrestling. And this is the power. Do we see that? Do we see that? The second thing that happened was the dying to self. Now, I said, and this is true, that this term is used to describe tendons, musculature, umbilical cords, areas in the body that can become um, uh, supplied to where they they're they're poised for a uh, a demonstration or a breakthrough now god did not use that term this term we're talking about in jacob to 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 describe the sinew that was touched that shriveled where god caused him to t- he took away his physical ability to maneuver so he limped god used another term that meant the same thing. If you look it up there, Gid, you'll see that it means a similar thing. Now, why didn't God, since he was on this topic of Sar, why didn't God use the same term? Because God was not interested in withering the divine process. God was interested in withering the human counterpoint to the divine process. That is a major point to see here. Um, So God touches this place that in the natural Jacob had relied on to be quick and to be mobile and to really be able to navigate around problems. God touched that place of physical identity so that the spiritual capacity could flourish, a compensation, as it were. Because arguably, again, you know, we recognize that purpose can be twisted into iniquity, and people function in iniquities, and they're really using divinely ordained gifts and callings 
for human purposes, like Demas, who forsook Paul, having agaped the present world. Um, those things that God wants, we often twist and use in the natural for our own devices. So we have to die to self. We have to die to the flesh. And in this story, God touched the fleshly identity of, of Jacob's manifestation of being able to overcome and focused upon the spiritual measure of how you should overcome in faith. Does that make sense? So then God caps it all off by changing Jacob's name from this name that meant able to maneuver, able to deceive, able to get what you want, when you want, in the way you want. God changed that to Israel, which is one who engages in the Sarah with Elohim. So look at what Jacob did. God wrestles with him. The wrestling is the Sarah. Uh, God gave power with the angels. That power is the Sarah. God took away as a result of this all-night encounter uh, Jacob's ability in the natural to maneuver. Now, mentally, he still was a maneuverer. <laughs> Don't don't get me wrong, just because one of his uh, sinews wasn't working didn't mean he he still had to, it doesn't mean he didn't have to um, discipline himself from being Jacob. And that's one of the things you see in Scripture, even though God changed his name, his identity really enforced what the divine identity should be. Jacob was still called Jacob, which is... Interesting. I wonder how many times you and I, you know, what God purposes to call us, uh, he can't call us that. He still calls us by our earthly name. I wonder how many times that happens. I'm sure it does in my life, and I know it happens in you. <laughs> so here you have Jacob where you have... Oh, dying to self, you have uh, the, uh, the, the the true demonstration of spending time with Elohim and submitting to his plan and then partnering with the angelic, and you have uh, the name change, the identity change. I think that's phenomenal. We all need this. I think another aspect of this term is that in the Old Testament and in the surrounding areas of the people who lived during those days, wine production was used, uh, was described by this term, to where a vine would become engorged, uh, the grapes would become ripe and ready to burst, ripe unto harvest, and that discomfort then would denote it's time for the grapes to produce the wine. We're to be people who work in God's vineyard. We're to be people who are 
working for the new wine. Jesus' first miracle was turning water into wine or turning human capacity into people who can fulfill this divine principle of partnering with God um, for breakthrough. Uh, People want breakthrough. They just don't want to be surrounded and wait on timing. (laughs) So uh, one other thing I wanted to mention about, we're out of time here, is that you hear a lot today, if you pay attention at all, to something called Sharia law, which is a kind of a radical Islamic ideology where it's very restrictive. Um, it, it, uh, it governs the behavior of women and it mandates certain archaic principles with um, some very drastic punishments. Sharia is formed from this same term. And the, the, where Sharia comes from, it denoted a kind of weapon or describes a body armor. So the Islamics, the, the radical Islamics, recognized that. And they said, we're going to surround ourselves with our ideology and we're going to be repressive within so that we can achieve something that we believe Muhammad or Allah wants to achieve. So even the enemy recognizes the the capacity of this restrictive condition, but the Sharia law doesn't really produce uh, breakthrough or creation of anything new. It's more de- more designed to subjugate and restrict. God, in faith, wants to walk with us, to engage us as people of faith, as friends of God, as covenant partners for uh, the kingdom. God is wanting us to be able to partner with the angelic on behalf of God's kingdom. God is wanting us to be known as people who have triumphed in him and subsequently through this particular kind of triumph have authority before God and who have that governmental uh, capacity seen in the spirit realm and demonstrated in every facet of their life. God wants us to die to self and he wants us to be those that um, can produce the new wine with him, to partner with him in his vineyard. So these are incredible things for us, and I think that God has taken the time to show this to us in this day because he wants us to, first of all, understand this. He wants us to apply it in who we are, but he wants us to take a good look around at where we are at this very moment. The supply God has given us, the blessing God is giving us, the way he's meeting with us, our cup is running over, the way the enemy seems to have positioned, the restrictions that would try to be foisted upon us, the um, 
the way that maybe in intercession we have um, we have dealt with the burden and we we feel that travail. I would ask you. You got blessing around you. You have obstacles about you. Are you willing to shout grace, grace, a double issuance of grace to the mountain? Because that mountain must be moved. It's not there as an obstacle. It's there as an opportunity. And it's all based upon this principle You have set a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You've anointed my head and are anointing my head with oil. My cup is so full, it's running over. Running over, running over. My cup is full and running over. Remember that old tune we used to sing in children's church? Um, That's where you are. So what does it mean for you personally? What does it mean for where we're going in our mission for God in the months and years to come? These are things that we must grasp and understand. And um, but I but I think that when David speaks about in the presence of the enemies and he describes this supply and this overflowing Uh, resource that's flooding in into a restricted area. He's saying, recognize what's going on and embrace the fellowship. Don't be confused by it. The fellowship with God, don't be confused by it. You know, sometimes you I just don't understand. You know, I've got all these things happening, but I can't take my eyes off this challenge that's around me. See, if if we say that, that's walking by sight. But we don't walk by sight, we walk by faith. We've got to keep our eyes on our purpose in God. And this is where our identity is, this is where breakthrough comes from, this is where spiritual warfare is guaranteed in victory, this is where um, we uh, partner with the angelic, this is where we have a governmental authority, this is where we uh, enlist in Um, seeing the harvest of God's vineyard, all of these things and more. It's a good time in God. Well, thanks for joining with me. And I pray that God will use this to bless you and to take us further in him. So we look forward to my congregation, those of you who can come tonight to pray, we'll see you then, 6 o'clock. But all of the saints, this coming Saturday for First Saturday Prayer. Until next time, God bless you. Keep walking in faith. Goodbye. <laughs>